Hello, and welcome to the Samrock Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast is created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Milner with us. Thank you, ma'am, for joining us today. Thank you. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what medical school you went to, where did you go for residency? Sure. I'm not the typical go to high school, go to college, go to medical school, and get out kind of gal. I am from St. Louis area in Missouri. Dated my husband, who was a second lieutenant in the Air Force. While he and I were dating, he was living at White Patterson Air Force Base, and we dated for a year. When we got married, I had already decided I was going to go back to school and get a degree, and I wanted to go to medical school, but we couldn't figure out how I was going to manage that with him being in the military. There's so many things that now, looking back, I have learned. So I worked on my bachelor's degree. Unfortunately, the Air Force had different plans, and they kept PCSing us, him, but me along with him. And so I actually don't have a bachelor's degree from anywhere because I went to too many different places to go to school. When we finally decided I was going to go to medical school, I applied to only one medical school, which I know is pretty unusual. Went to the University of New Mexico and said, this is where I want to go, so you better let me in. (laughs) Did that, and for the first time in my career as a spouse of an active military person, the Air Force helped, and they assigned him to Kirtland Air Force Base, and so I did medical school there. And then, I guess towards the end of my third year in medical school, I decided we got to start figuring out where we're going to do residency. Again, mm-hmm. making sure that he and I are assigned together. I arranged to do all of the rest of my rotations at Andrews Air Force Base and basically said, this is it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm here for residency, so you better take me. And I did my residency in family medicine back in the mid 2000, so 2003, we graduated medical school, graduated residency in family medicine in 2006, and did that for several years. Wow. I did a different specialty just in the past six or seven years. I did a residency in aerospace medicine as well. So I'm board certified in family medicine and board certified in aerospace medicine. What led you to going from family medicine to aerospace medicine and that kind of point in your career? You know, it's funny, midway through my career, well, first of all, I have to say, I've been on OSIP in about five weeks, so obviously I'm in it for the long haul, but I have tried to get out several times, and every time I try to get out, somebody gives me something cool to do. The cool job that I had coming up was I was going to be the consultant to the Air Force Surgeon General for family medicine, but there was a nine, ten month gap between when my job that I was in ended and when the consultant job would begin. And so somebody came over and said, hey, Andrew's Air Force Base is looking for a flight doc. You want to go be a flight doc? And I was like, yeah, I'm a family doc. How hard can that be? (laughs) I went and did all the flight medicine stuff and honest to gosh, got into flight medicine and said, okay, so number one, if you're doing your job right, it's actually a really hard job. There's just so much to do. But number two, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely fell in love with it. And then when I tried to get out again after my family medicine consultant did, 
They asked, I said I was getting out and I was told, I said, no, you're not. You're applying to the aerospace medicine residency. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Wow. And I'm so glad I did because, again, they gave me a really cool opportunity. I did it, and I have loved every minute of it. That's fantastic. Wow. That's what I love about the military is you hear all these stories. Everyone gets these opportunities, and it's something really cool to look forward to. It's exactly right. I mean, if you don't like what you're doing right now, <laughs> you'll get other opportunities. And I think the biggest thing that people have to think about, and this doesn't matter what branch of service, my story is unique to me in the Air Force, but I can find that countless number of people in the Navy and the Army who've done very similar type things. Just tell somebody, hey, I'm not liking this. What else could I do? And I'm telling you, there's going to be 10 people knocking on your door going, well, I have an idea for you. That's great. Going back a little bit, what initially led you to wanting to pursue medical school and becoming a physician? I grew up in a blue-collar family. I'm the first person to go to undergrad, much less go to medical school in my family. And I was working for a neurologist in St. Louis, and I was doing his accounts, his collectibles. I would take financial cases to him, and I'd talk to him about that, and then well, we got, when we would get done with that, I'd be looking over his shoulder. CT scans were pretty common. MRIs were not a thing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have me come in and help do some of the studies that he would perform, and he would spend so much time talking. And finally, he didn't able to leave his office because my now husband and I were getting married. And he said, that's fine. He said, but just tell me when you need a letter of recommendation. And I said, oh, that's really nice of you. Thank you. And he said, I need from medical school. I'm not writing anything else. <laughs> okay. And so when I told my husband, I said, isn't that crazy? This guy thinks I can go to medical school. And my husband said, I don't think that's crazy at all. How about if we go to medical school? So, uh-huh. I do. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you ever consider other specialties outside of family medicine before you picked family medicine and then eventually aerospace medicine? I actually did not. I went into medical school. You know, I did a lot of research. You know, I was old. By the time I went to medical school, I was 32, 33. I didn't have the luxury of somebody who comes, you know, who kind of does it in the normal pattern. I didn't have the luxury to mess around. By this time, I had two kids. I needed to get it right. <laughs> so I went into medical school knowing, without a doubt, that family medicine was what I wanted to do. And I'll tell you what, every single rotation I took in medical school just confirmed that. I would take to the surgery rotation, and I'd say, oh, this is really cool, this is really cool. And then it, by the end of the rotation, I'm like, oh, my God, shoot me if I have to come with a belly open. Jeez, Louise. It was great because... The people that I would work with that were family medicine and ER, they would both say, yep, you're definitely going the right path. Keep going down that path. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to have those kind of confirmation type feelings, especially for us third year or to kind of trying to figure everything out in just a short amount of time and go about that location. It was a little bit. When all of my friends were trying to decide which direction they were going to declare, I was a little bit jealous about that because that seems so exciting to me for all of you guys that didn't know what you wanted to do that were like, oh, I love this and I love that and I love the other thing. To me, it felt like you had so many options. Not that I wasn't happy with my options, but it just seemed so cool to have all those options and you could do anything and you'd be happy. Whereas I said, yes, family medicine is <laughs> that was it. 
really depends on, I guess, the side of fence you're standing on as to which way things. Because people have said a lot of times to me, oh my God, I wish I was like you. I wish I just knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> what sort of advice do you have for students in choosing a faculty? I know we just kind of talked about how you went about it, but do you have any advice for future students? I do. I'm going to tell you a little story just because I think it's one of the best stories ever. Sure. Buddy of mine in medical school, I will never forget the first time I kind of met him. He would introduce himself kind of pompously that he was a Wall Street trader, and he decided he wanted to come back to medical school and, and, and go to medical school, and he was going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, and he would quote how much a cardiothoracic surgeon made on a regular basis. In the end, he's a great guy. He's a fabulous guy. He was just a little bit full of himself. And he was a little confused as to what his path was. He was young. Today, that guy is up in, I don't know, one of the cold square states up north. maybe. <laughs> he is a general surgeon, and he literally gets paid in chickens and pies. This guy just decided there's easier ways to make money and this work is really hard and so I better find something that I absolutely love. And so this general surgeon is the doc for, you know, 100 square miles. He delivers babies. He takes care of colds. He does it all. Wow. And he is so happy. And so I guess the real thing is don't choose a specialty based on money. There are so much easier ways to make money. This is hard work. You've got to pick a specialty that you love, and I think there's just kind of two ways to look at it. Do you love variety, or do you like being the expert on a single thing? Do you like having a calm work environment, or do you like things to be kind of flying like everybody's hair is on fire? Those are kind of the two questions you have to answer, and once you do that, then you kind of narrow things down a little bit. Great advice, for sure. Going kind of into some military side of things here, what sort of advice do you have for students now in medical school on developing officership while in medical school? And then how do we continue to be strong officers and leaders in the military as we continue throughout our career? Now that I'm a few years out, I'm a lot of years out, I would say that a great officer looks a whole lot like a great medical student. And a great medical student and a great officer look a whole lot like a great resident. You show up on time, you put your service before self, you have integrity, you make sure you have excellence in all you do. Oh, wait, I think those are the Air Force Core values. Yeah, but it's all the same, right? I mean, it's all the same thing. People need to know that they can trust you. Everybody needs to know they can trust you. The person that is cleaning the exam room after you needs to know that they can trust that you didn't put a spark in the classroom. Mm-hmm. The faculty member that you present the case to needs to know that you ask all the questions you say you ask and that you are giving the answers in the way that they will give it. So they need to trust you as well. And your colleagues need to trust you. And all of that gets tied up in all the same thing that, that you need to do to be a great military officer. That's great. Was joining the Air Force, was that kind of spurred because your husband was also in the Air Force and that made it easier, or did you always want to be in the military to some degree prior to that? So nobody in my family was in the military other than my grandfather was in the Japanese AOR in World War II, and my uncle was a door gunner in the Air Force. He did four tours in Vietnam, 
and survived all that and came back home and actually died of a heart attack um, at the age of 31 in the office he was working at. But he was the kind of guy, my uncle was the kind of guy that everybody loved, and he became kind of an icon in our family. And it's the craziest thing that every kid in my generation of our family not only went into the military, most of us went into the Air Force, and all of us married military members. So <laughs> he had a huge impact. But, yeah, the biggest toll for me was that my husband was in the Air Force. He loved the way of life, and I loved the respect that he got from the people that he worked with. And, you know, I have relatives who are, you know, who did the Army route. And I tell you, there were a lot of differences. I think they mm-hmm. sorted themselves out a little bit now, but there were a lot of differences in the way my husband was treated versus the way my brother-in-law was treated. Mm-hmm. Along that same line of thought with military, where have you been stationed and what different positions have you held within your military career? Spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. because mm-hmm. in your dual military, you find big, huge areas that will accommodate whatever you do and whatever your spouse does. Sure. And then you do everything you can so that you don't get separated. So we spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., but I got to be, obviously, as a resident in Washington, D.C., that program is closed down and kind of folded into Fort Belvoir, the mm-hmm. Army and uh, Navy and Air Force all together. I was lucky enough to be staffed at Andrews after I graduated from residency, and then I worked for a time over at Holy Air Force Base as an adjunct provider. Seems I had another, I had a real job, and then I would come over once a week to work at Bowling. And then my real job during that time was working for the Force Development Division for the Surgeon General. So I was a fellow, I did kind of a fellowship, where I spent a lot of time learning, a lot of time writing papers and a lot of times presenting to the Surgeon General and the Deputy Surgeon Generals and so forth. That was a great experience. It seems like maybe you don't want to pull, if you're totally clinical, 100% clinical, and you don't want anything but to be clinical, that's great. And I love those people, and I'm so grateful for those people. But I got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to do something a little bit different. This was the opportunity that came up, and I learned so much. I learned, you know, a lot of the decisions in the military that we Boots on the ground think are capricious or things don't have a lot of thought to go into them. Oh my gosh, so much thought goes into it. And you don't really get to see that unless you take a job at air staff or at NASCOM or in that leadership. So once you left DC though, I deployed once to the UAE. I call it a deployment light because <laughs> it wasn't Afghanistan or Iraq deployment. It was a United Arab Emirates deployment. Then we went to San Antonio and I started doing my I don't know, that's when I went to Don for San Antonio for the consultant kid, and from there I started doing my office months in residency, which included getting my MPH at University of Texas Houston, and then moving to Fort Patterson for the residency. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I got absolutely positively the best job in the world. I got to be a squadron commander at Hickam Air Force Base for the AMDS squadron, so I was in charge of Great medicine and public health and bioenvironmental engineering. We had an en route patient staging platform that I was in charge of for the dental squadron as well. Best, best, best job ever. And the location didn't hurt either <laughs> in Hawaii. And then from there I came to here and now I'm the chief flight surgeon for the United States Space Force and for the U.S. Space Command. 
Wow, that is quite a career that you've had so far. I have been so blessed to have amazing people looking out for me and pointing me in the right direction when I would start getting kind of down. But I think also it was a lot of, I was willing to listen to them when they said, just trust me, try this new thing. Wow. With this transition with the addition of the United States Space Force, do you still wear the United States Air Force? Are you now under Space Force? How does that all work now for this medical, from what you understand? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? So, as it stands right now, the Space Force is only going to have space operators and Intel folks that directly support the space operators and things like that. So the people that are going to be wearing the Space Force uniform and signing their commission and their enlistment to the Space Force are all going to be directly related to the space mission. Okay. So folks like me, who I'm working at the headquarters building, I am assigned to the Space Force. Just like you can be assigned to the Navy while you're an Air Force staff, but you're not a Navy person, you're just Air Force working with Navy, that's what I'm situation in right now. And it does not look like right this second that they're going to take on any medics. They kind of have a very small footprint so that they can absolutely do the special in the entire space realm. It makes a lot of fun. All those plans were made before COVID, so and right. so who knows? <laughs> what struggles have you had just balancing being an officer, a physician, a wife, a spouse, a mother? How do you find balance within all of those? There was a time when I was working in an office that had extended leadership above me that was a little private and was having a hard time pushing down priorities to our level so that we could act on those priorities and make sense of every day. All of the leaders that were directly above me were women. I think that it had gotten to a point that they didn't realize what our clinic kind of looked like at the mm-hmm. moment, and they came down, and these very strong, powerful women sat in front of me and said, what the heck? Make this work. And I said, I don't know about you, but I have children at home, and if you would just tell me what an appropriate length of day is, I will tell all my people that that's the length of day that they have to work. And they said, well, that's a ridiculous thing. They said, well, get the job done. And I said, well, the job is never going to be done. I want to be real clear the job is never going to be done. I need you to tell me, what do you think an appropriate month of day is? I said, because right now, my people are working 12 and 13 hours. Wow. But these very strong professional women said, what? And I said, yeah. I said, they're working 12 and 13 hours, and they all have kids, too, and they all have families to go home to, and they need to exercise, and they need to do all this stuff that's supposed to happen in life, but right now they're not. And that gave me a great insight into great leaders and non-great leaders. The outcome of that was it was a love. But after that, it helps me to understand that there does have to be a balance. And I think until I had said that, because I was feeling the same pressure that my, I was a commander for the standard medicine place. And so I was feeling the same pressure and the same struggle and anxiety that my clinic was feeling, but I hadn't been able to verbalize it until I kind of got confronted by leadership saying, what's the problem, sister? 
And once I could verbalize it, it all actually fell into place. And it helped me understand, there's going to be things that I need to deprive my family so that I can accomplish them. But every day of every week is not that right answer. If I find my people are having to deprive their families and deprive themselves over and over and over again, then we've got priorities messed up. And it gives you some clarity to be able to step back and say, okay, let's talk about these balance. And let's see what can we do to modify and adjust the balance. It's not easy. I mean, medicine's not easy. It's not, medicine's not easy just in general. Medicine's not easy when you're a spouse. It's not easy when you're a parent. Mm-hmm. But you come to a point where you finally figure out that, like I said, number one, the job's not ever going to be, quote, done. And number two, yes, there are times that you have to spend 24, 36 hours at the office. Yeah, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that should not be the rule. And if it is, then you got to step back and figure out what the priorities, how the priorities need to change. Makes a lot of sense. Wow. What are some pitfalls do you think we should avoid as physicians and as officers and kind of officer physicians? I said it before, I said I'll say it again, and I a little bit preaching to the choir. It's just hard work. Right. And while the hard work is going to continue for the rest of your career, it can be different. I mean, right now the hard work is like trying to absorb all the information that's being given to you. Mm-hmm. You know, next year, two years from now, three years from now, the hard work is going to be taking care of people so that nobody dies. The hard work, it, it continues, it just changes. And while it's true that you were selected into your program appropriately, that selection was not a mistake. I'm always amazed that I wasn't the only person that thought being selected into medical school must have been a mistake. And some, at some point, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, ah, Sorry, you have to belong here. That's never going to happen for you guys, so goodness. But here's the critical thing. You do not have to know everything. You have to know your limits. You have mm-hmm. to know how to say, I have no idea. In fact, just yesterday, I'm almost a colonel in the Air Force. I'm working at a very high level. And somebody said, hey, motor, this is my call sign, hey, motor, I am going to need you to send me that paper on post-test screening. And I said, I honestly gosh have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, you wrote it. And I'm like, not going to refuse that, but I seriously have no idea. And it's just that I had too many things going on, but mm-hmm. I didn't, in my mind, that's not how I had labeled that document that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. I just, I had no idea. No, I could have said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that, I got that. And I could have scrambled and figured out, but you know what? You're human. You, you need to say, I got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> now, if you say that too much, say that becomes a problem. But um, you need to be able to say when you don't know what's going on. And that's going to help you with your leadership style because a physician is going to be a leader on the team. But you need to understand today, right here, right this minute, the only thing I'm an expert in right this minute is being the chief flight surgeon of the United States Space Force and U.S. Space Force. And why do I say that? I mean, I've had a pretty good career. I'm pretty smart. I have not been seeing patients every single day mm-hmm. for the past two years. So I'm not the expert in seeing patients right this second. When I was a squadron commander and I was taking care of the bioenvironmental flight, my board certification in aerospace medicine taught me an awful lot about bioenvironmental engineering. However, 
I'm not the expert in that. I was the expert at being the squadron commander at that moment in that squadron. But mm-hmm. I wasn't the bioenvironmental expert. And you have to remember that. Everybody around you is an expert in what they are doing. And you have to bring their skills to the team. You know, I had a, I had a post when I was an intern. We had a huge swath of Clostridium difficile running through our inpatient floor. And it's just like every time you turn around, somebody else was pooping. And we were, we were very concerned. I mean, it was really tough, but mm-hmm. our cleaning folks kept having to terminally clean these rooms because things weren't getting cleaned up in a timely fashion. So not only were our patients having to sit in their waste, but it would get spread out, and so then the room would get to be announced and so forth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so on my patients, I rounded on them several times. I mean, you round on them a hundred times a day. So I would round on my patients, and every time I'd round on my patients, I would clean them up. And I would change the sheets, and I would change the cup, and I didn't think anything of it. But I will tell you, the nurses, the housekeeping, they all saw that, and they all knew that. And mm-hmm. so... When something cool came up that needed to be done, the faculty will go, we've got this really cool procedure, who should we grab? The nurse or the, you know, the technician or whatever will go, oh, hey, no one's over there, go get her, you should get her, you know. They recognize that and they feel like they're part of the team and you understand what they have to do uh-huh. as part of their job because you've done some, you've done just a tiny little bit of it too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So we're going for our last one here. Any additional advice that you have for students who are military or and wanting to do a military residency or are going to become military physicians here shortly or are graduating residency? Any last kind of bits of advice that you have for them? This is this is great. Now you're at the you're kind of at the point where everything you do makes a difference. It goes without saying to you that you don't have to be the smartest person in your class. You don't have to be the smartest person in your group, but you have to do your best, and you have to have your integrity. And when you go do those rotations, try new stuff. I also got picked up from my family medicine residency program, not on a family medicine rotation. I think I was on, oh, I know I was on a uh, drug and alcohol rehab rotation at Andrews mm-hmm. when I kind of got noticed. A nice little comment at the board when they were selecting what residencies to go to from the ER doc who was down at Edwin Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. I had worked with that ER doc and he said, I'd really like you to come to our program. And I said, I stand family medicine. And he said, Oh my God, you know, so he made kind of family medicine jokes. Mm-hmm. But it turns out when they were doing the selection board, he talked over and said a nice thing to the selection committee for Andrews just said, hey, she came down and worked with me and she's really great about a lot of other stuff. But I guess my point is, is that every location that you do, you're in an interview. It's a small community. It is a very small community. And while they may not necessarily go over, if you'd have done, if, you know, if I'd have been a bozo, they might not have gone over and said, hey, that Michelle Milner is a bozo. But they did, because I really worked hard and I showed dedication. They did take their time to go over and say, hey, she did a great job, you should take it. If you're wearing a uniform, you're always representing the Air Force, you're representing officers, you're representing medics, you're just representing so much. And it's a lot of pressure sometimes. I may have been a partier way, way, way back in the day before I ever met my husband, but I really once I became part of the military and part of the medical field, 
That was it. I'm, I'm, I am a very boring, straight and narrow kind of gal. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you, ma'am. And congratulations on your upcoming promotion in Tinanon, 06. This wraps up today's episode with Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Milner. Thank you, ma'am, for your time and sharing your experiences with us as future military physicians. And for those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in.